Across over 2018, God has just kind of revealed and shown that really all he needs us to be is obedient. Uh, one of the biggest things that, that I've encountered this week is nominalism. Um, the, the whole idea that, you know, I'm a Christian if I go to church or I'm a Muslim if I simply just say that Allah is God or, I mean, <laughs> add your ending. But at the end of the day, it's amazing how many people I walked up to the door that profess Christianity in, in a city that has 78% Christian <laughs> denominations and, 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 and just listening to these people say that they had no clue about Jesus. And, and one of the instances, I was with a 17-year-old kid named Alex, and, and I come up and, and I'm explaining about Harvest America and the event. And, uh, and I said, do you, do you know the name of Jesus? And he said, well, kind of. And I was like, well, tell me a little bit about what you know about Jesus. And he goes, I don't really know anything. Long story short, we, we spread the gospel message and, and he ends up accepting Christ. And we're in the prayer and I get to the part where I say, Jesus, I know that you came to earth to live the, uh, the perfect life that I could never live and, and die the death that I deserve, that you were buried and that you rose again. And he's like, hold up, stop the phone. He stops the prayer. He goes, wait a second, he rose? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, Jesus is alive, man. And he gets so excited and he professes Jesus Christ as Lord. And he's like, we've got to tell my grandma. She opens the door and, and in a moment of joy, my heart just kind of broke because a lady came to the door. She said that she went to the church up the street, that her family members were pastors. Yet I just talked to her grandson who lived in the house who didn't have a Bible, didn't know anything about Jesus. And the saddest thing is that he didn't even know that Jesus was alive. That's the importance of sharing the gospel and not stopping when someone says that they're a Christian. You are listening to Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast, where we talk about your theological questions. BGN podcast is produced every Saturday for your enjoyment. Get more information on our website, grace-nation.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at GraceNationMin and on Facebook. Now, here is your host, President of Grace Nation Ministries, Victor. Yo, 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 what is up, guys? And welcome back to a brand new episode of Bringing Grace to the Nations podcast. I am your host, Victor, and I am so excited for today's episode. I've been getting emails, I've been getting text messages asking me if I've quit podcasting, if it's over, if we're done. I, guys, I missed one week, all right? I'm sorry. My apologies. I missed one week, but we're back. I had an amazing last like 13 days and I can't wait to talk about it. It's been amazing. God has done miraculous and amazing things and I am going to be sharing it with you on today's podcast. It's going to be basically a recap of the past few weeks. I was, uh, if you don't know, I traveled to Dallas, Texas for about 13 days. We were in Fort Worth and then in Dallas for the first 10 days. We were doing a mission trip called Crossover. It is where the uh, mini Baptist seminaries get together and they pick a city and they go out and they just share the gospel for 10 days. We go door to door, we advertise churches, we put on a big festival and it's just amazing. So that's what I did for the first 10 days and I can't wait to tell you some of those stories and I also have some people that would love to share some of those stories with you as well. And then after that I had the opportunity to go 
to the Southern Baptist Convention that met on the 12th and the 13th of, of June, right? We're in June, right? Let me just check. We're in June. Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah, they met on the 12th and the 13th of June, and that was really interesting, and I'll catch you up a little bit on that as well. I have some interesting thoughts and a, and a different perspective now after having attended the Southern Baptist Convention, and so I'm just super excited to be sharing uh, my experiences with you guys. If you guys kept up on the daily debriefs, you will know some of the things that I was involved in. there, You can find the daily debriefs at grace-nation.com. You can follow just some of the amazing things the Lord did. And then I'll be giving a lot more in-depth detail here on this podcast. So yeah, so we flew to Fort Worth, Texas on the 3rd of June. And we came back on the 14th. And the first chunk of our trip was the crossover event. And so what we did is Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you don't know where that is, it's in Fort Worth, Texas. They hosted it. They had us all the seminaries come to their hotel that they have on campus. And we, we, we flew in, we drove to Fort Worth, and we got there and we unpacked our stuff. We settled into the hotel there at Southwestern. Southwestern is a beautiful campus. If you're kind of in the loop with things that have happened recently at Southwestern, then you'll kind of know some of the conversations that we were having this past week. But if you don't know, you don't need to know. But we, we pulled in, got settled, and we uh, started. So we got to bed, we got there pretty late, we went to sleep, and the next morning we started. And so in the morning chunk of time, we had lectures. They, they lasted from about 8 in the morning to 12 in the afternoon. And we would, just, we would just get taught, like, how to evangelize, you know, what's the most effective way, like theology and evangelism, prayer and evangelism. Uh, and it, it was all really good stuff. I actually feel like I learned a lot more in those three lectures than I did in the entirety of my evangelism classes at in, in school. So they were very good. Not saying that my evangelism classes were bad. It was just a lot more practical uh, at crossover. And so that's what we would do. We would eat food during that time. And then after that, we would go eat lunch. And then from about 1 to 8 p.m., we would hit the streets. And the way they chunked us off and the way they spread us out throughout Fort Worth, Texas, was that they separated us by school. And then in the school, they would separate us by teams. And then they would assign us to local churches in the area. And, you know, crossover and the team that was kind of heading it up had already gone to the churches. They screened them, make sure they taught the gospel, make sure they were good, solid churches so that we knew that we were helping, you know, Bible-based, gospel-believing churches. So my group got sent out to a church called Grace Tabernacle Baptist, wait, wait, Grace Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church. That was it. Grace Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church is a very long name. And it was an African-American church, and it was fun. I loved it. The pastor was awesome. The people that worked there were awesome. They, they gave us you know, just, just a warm welcome when we came in. And their church was located in just the middle of this massive community. The community probably consisted of about eight or nine just big neighborhoods. And so our assignment was to go into the neighborhood, hand out flyers for the church, and invite them to the service on Sunday. And then... We would invite them to this harvest crusade that was happening. Greg Laurie put on this massive crusade. And then we would ask them, you know, if you were to stand in front of, we would say, like, can we ask you a spiritual question? Most would say yes. And we would ask them, if you were to stand in front of Jesus today, like, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? Like, what would you say? What would your answer be? And a lot of them just ended up being, well, I've done good stuff. I take care of my mom. I take care of my grandma. I financially provide for my family. I'm Catholic. Uh, I do, I, you know, I follow the rules. I follow the law. 
I got a lot of those answers and it was really interesting to kind of be in that environment because at the seminary and, and you know when you're around Christian people like everyone knows the answer to that question right everyone is a Christian when you're just surrounded by Christians and so people know the answer to that question but it was really interesting to be surrounded by people who didn't know the answer to that question and it was predominantly a Hispanic and uh, African American community and so it was really interesting to see and then the few white people that we did come across they were actually Jehovah's Witness and it was kind of convicting to see Jehovah Witnesses living in communities so that they could reach the communities and as Christians, we hardly talk to our next door. Anyway, that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother time, but it's crazy. And so I have just a few snippets about what some of the people on my team got from Crossover and what they gained from the mission trip and from the experience. And so I'm going to play those. It'll be just a few minutes of just those little short testimonies. And I just want you guys to kind of hear what Crossover did, but also how it encouraged us to share the gospel in our everyday life. And hopefully from hearing the way that we were encouraged and from he hearing the way that, that we did things, that it would encourage you to also get out there and to share the gospel and to share Christ. And so I'm going to go ahead and play those now. Yeah, here at Crossover, you know, it, it's really been affecting me personally. Um, I didn't have a good evangelistic heart um, at first, but this has really brought me out of my comfort zone and really led me to uh, be more ev uh, evangelistic in my approaches. Yeah, I think uh, what Crossover has done for me is reminded me of the uh, high calling we have in Christ um, and to be soul conscious to uh, to always be in a mindset of, uh, of being aware that there are lost souls around us and that we at crossover God is training the next generation of believers to share their faith engage the community with the gospel and reach the world for Christ I'm just amazed at how God has brought people from age 20 that I've met all the way up to my age, 61, to work together to share the gospel. And I've also watched him break down language barriers with family members, with um, students bringing different languages in, with technology. It's just amazing. Uh, at Crossover, I've, I've been able to learn experientially how to share the gospel uh, in a natural way, being myself. And I've also gotten to see people be convicted of sin and repent before my eyes. As you can probably tell, Crossover 2018 did a lot in the hearts of the people that were a part of it. And I'm so encouraged to have been able to be a part of the Crossover 2018 team. One of the things that it really did for me was here at seminary, we're, they're really good at creating an evangelistic mind. Like they... they they teach you how to evangelize, they give you practical ways to carry it out, and they encourage you to evangelize. And so here at school, I really do have an evangelistic mind, but when I went to Texas, and when I was a part of the Crossover 2018, it gave me an evangelistic heart. And yes, those are two completely different things. It's one thing to have an evangelistic mind and to be on the lookout. It's another thing to have a passion and a burning, uh, a burning passion for people in this world who are lost and going to hell each and every day and to step out and be like, I want to give the news to you that will save you from that eternity in hell. And so that's one of the things that it really did for me. And I am so amazed to have been a part of the team that was going to, that, that was able to go to Texas. One of the amazing stories, I was paired up with three guys and we were just walking around the neighborhood, uh, Jordan and John. I think John's going to be on the podcast here in a few weeks, but... 
I was walking around neighborhoods with him, uh, knocking on doors, and we came up to this one door and knocked on it, and th this uh, middle-aged man named Bernard opens the door, and he's like, hey guys, what can I do for you? And so we start, you know, we start the process. We hand him the flyer, invite him to church. He's super nice, super hospitable. He, he then uh, asked about the concert, and he seemed really interested in the concert, and we then asked him if we could ask him a spiritual question, and he responded surprisingly, no. He was like, I've just been working all day, I'm so tired, and I really gotta go, and, and he apologized, and we're like, yeah, that's no problem, we shook his hand, uh, we, he allowed us to pray for him, and then we, we left. And so as we were walking down the road, it was on a cul-de-sac, and as we were turning the edge of the cul-de-sac, we saw the garage door of his house open up. And out of the garage door come two teenage boys. We're assuming that they are his sons. And so we kind of start talking amongst ourselves, like, should we go back? Should we, should we go talk to him? And, you know, uh, as John and I are talking, like, yeah, like, let's go back. We turn around, and Jordan's already halfway you know, across the street walking towards him. So he's made up his mind. So like, well, I guess we're going back. And so we, we start heading back and, and Bernard's out there with his two sons and they're about to cut the grass. And so we, we asked Bernard if we can just talk to his two sons and say the same thing that, that we told him. And he said, yes. And so we got to sit there and share the gospel with his two children and lead them to Christ right then and there. God did an amazing thing there in that garage of on that day. And, and we brought, God used us to bring two people into the family of Christ and we were able to give them Bibles. It was amazing to just watch their face transform when they heard the gospel. And so they're plugged into a church now, and hopefully they're going to be getting baptized here soon. And so that was just one of the amazing opportunities that we had to share the gospel and to see God bring people to himself. We also had the amazing opportunity to play soccer with a bunch of kids like in the afternoon. We just went out there and we just played soccer. And we, um, we built relationships with them. We would go every evening from probably about six to eight. We would play soccer with these guys. And, and we were there on our last day. We had played soccer with them for probably about four days. And we got there, and, and we just asked them if we could sit them down and just tell them a story. And so they were like, yeah, sure. And so we sat them down. They were aged, or their age range was probably anywhere between six and 20. And we sat them all down, probably about 14 of them, and just shared the prodigal son and talked about that story and talked about what it meant and then we gave, we made it re, like applicable to their life and put them in the scenario and what their father would do and what they would do and what the brother would do. And so we got to put them into the scenario. And then from there, we got to transition into the gospel. And we got to share the gospel with about 14 teenagers that night. And then we got to go into our personal testimonies and talk about, you know, what God has done in each one of our lives, me, John, and Jordan, and we really got to see just, they got to see a glimpse into our life, and although, you know, none of them professed faith in Christ there that night, they seemed really interested in getting plugged into a church and possibly attending. It's right there in their neighborhood, and they can walk right to it, and so I was, I was really encouraged by that conversation, and the seed has been planted, and now they have no excuse, right? And so, you know, they've heard the gospel, they've heard the good news, and so we... We were just flattered and amazed that God would use us to share that message with them. And we were praying for them daily that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And so that was just kind of a brief overview of Crossover. I have the statistics of the entire event. So there were about four seminaries there. It was Southeastern, Southwestern, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, and New Orleans Seminary. And so they all came and we got to uh, share the gospel with them, uh, like alongside of them. And so... Over, we had 175 seminarians come and share the gospel. And over those five days, 
we uh, saw we got to have we came in contact with 19,861 people and so over those 10 days we got to we got into contact with 19,000 people which is amazing it's they were projecting us to get in contact with 10,000 people and we got in contact with 19,000 and then out of those 19,000 we had about 3,274 gospel conversations so we got to share the gospel in its entirety to about 3200 people and that was truly amazing they were they were you know probably uh, i think they had projected us to get somewhere around 1000 and so we got to share the gospel with over 3000 people and it was just amazing and then from crossover we had 347 new professions of faith into the christian kingdom and so that's just so amazing so if you guys are listening to this podcast and, and if and if you are a professing born again Christian, then there are going to be 347 people that you will see in heaven, and they will have come to faith due to the efforts of 175 seminary students who just went to Dallas and shared the gospel. And that leads me into kind of my point: like, what's holding us from sharing the gospel? What is it? Because if you can find one good excuse to keep you from sharing the gospel, I would love to hear it. Because your neighbors, your co-workers, the people you love, the people in your family are dying and going to live in eternity and hell and burn for the rest of their lives. And we just kind of nonchalantly watch it happen as if there's no priority to it. We are commanded in scriptures to make disciples of all nations, to preach the word as it has been preached to us. And we need to take that responsibility with weight. Like it's important. It is the focus of the Christian religion is to make God's name known. And so that's one of the things that it taught me. Like I am not scared to share Jesus with my coworkers. In fact, I pursue opportunities to do that. I'm not scared to go door to door in neighborhoods surrounding my seminary. In fact, that's what I'm doing at least twice a week now. You know, it, there's no excuse to go to not go on mission trips and to share God's word because people need it. People are dying and going to live in eternity in hell, and we are just sitting by watching it happen. And that should that should convict us. That should that should you know hurt our hearts and that should inspire us to go share the good news um i use the example if there's a phone store right down the road and they were selling free iphone 10s and they had an unlimited amount of iphone 10s and you went and got yourself an iphone 10 and it worked and it was amazing wouldn't you go tell all your friends about the free iphone 10s well how much more important is it to tell them your friends the people you know about the eternal security that they can have in Christ and how much he loves them. And so I just want to encourage you guys to really get out of your comfort zone. I'm going to be doing a lot more podcasts on evangelism. We're going to have an evangelism podcast here coming up. This is not that. I just wanted to share some highlights from the crossover mission trip with you guys. And then after the crossover mission trip, we had the opportunity to sit in on the Southern Baptist Convention. And going into the Southern Baptist Convention, I actually did not align with Southern Baptist, uh, I wouldn't say beliefs because we, I do align with a lot of their beliefs, but just with the convention itself. I, I wasn't a Southern Baptist fan. I'm not, the, I'm not a fan of you know how they came to be and the origins of the Southern Baptist. I'm not, 
a fan of all the organization that's within it and all the even though they say there's no hierarchy there's very much a hierarchy and so I struggled a lot with the Southern Baptist Convention however just the two days that I was there being able to sit in on the convention be able to see the way things were done being able to learn and read books on the Southern Baptist Convention I came out of that convention a proud Southern Baptist and so even though I might not align with theologically on everything that Southern Baptists do even though I might not agree with a lot of the ways they conduct business, I, I can say that I am a proud Southern Baptist. And if you have your hesitations toward the Southern Baptist, trust me, I understand and I know why. However, being able to sit in a room with people and hearing Jesus taught, hearing you know Jesus teached and preached and you know, being surrounded by these influential people in the faith really gave me hope for the Southern Baptist Convention. And J.D. Greer is the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is amazing. We need that young, uh, we need that young presence in the Southern Baptist Convention for sure. He's 40 years old. He's one of the youngest presidents, maybe the youngest in history. And so we, I am super pumped that he's the president. He is going to be progressive. He's going to change a lot of things that need to be changed. And so I'm super excited for that. However, you know, I was able to grab a few snippets from the Southern Baptist from the Southern Baptist Convention. I got David Platt's International Mission Board report, which I want to play for you guys, and then I also got the NAMB report, which is the North American Mission Board. And I want to share those with you. I want to just play them on the podcast. They, I, I was in a big room recording it, and so I'm going to try and do my best with the audio quality. You can hear them pretty well, and so I'm excited to share them with you guys. So the International Mission Board will be first, and then I'll come back, and then the NAMB North America Mission Board will be second. What we've seen happen in the world over the last year, or even the last week, I received countless responses. Obviously, I don't have time to go into all of them today, but I do want to share some of them. And unfortunately, I can't speak in terms of specific locations because of security concerns, so I'll use more general descriptors. But here's what the conversation concerning the IMB should be about. A Muslim people group is hearing the gospel for the first time in one of the largest slums in sub-Saharan Africa. We are seeing thousands of Persian, Iranian, and Afghan refugees coming to know Christ across Europe. One church in a European city started four new churches in the last year. Just to give you a picture of the nations in those churches, when six people were recently baptized, two were European, one was Chinese, and the other three were Iranian. We just saw a Yazidi refugee who was fleeing ISIS come to Christ and get baptized. Last month, after years of work, we finally planted a church in a country that's almost 100% Muslim. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, we train 160 national pastors and missionaries to reach 32 Bible-less people. In one village in South Asia, we train 40 pastors and church leaders to reach migrant people groups in the villages around them. God is raising up biblically grounded leaders for the church in East Asia through theological education that is now being conducted completely in their local language. Leaders are being trained at seminaries in the Americas, Europe, East Asia, Southeast Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. One theological seminary has grown from 50 to 550 students in the last four years. This year, we're training 100 pastors, 40 church planners, and 40 international missionaries, all of them just having enrolled in this one seminary. New church plants in one previously unreached community have tripled from a year ago. After hearing the gospel and counting the cost for almost three years, a Central Asian woman came to Christ in a totally unreached people group. Well, 
used to be a totally unreached people group. We trained one local pastor who was leading an unhealthy church. We trained him to do expository preaching, and now he's seeing God change hearts through the power of his word. We've been trying for years to get access to one particular unengaged, unreached people group, and we finally have access. They are engaged, and this people group is finally going to hear the gospel. We shared the gospel with a dying man who was a lifelong atheist. He trusted Christ one day, was baptized the next, and he died the following day. This brother is now with Jesus. We're seeing refugees come to Christ, become disciple-makers, and return to their war-torn homeland to rebuild the foundations of their lives and communities on the gospel of Jesus Christ. An East Asian couple we trained is now being sent out as missionaries to a Middle Eastern country. Last week, we shared the gospel we shared the gospel alongside our local partners with over 1,100 Muslims in three days. Even as Venezuela implodes and people die of hunger, lack basic medicines, both those remaining and those immigrating are coming to Christ as they hear the message of hope in the gospel. We're sharing Christ with the deaf around the world through social media and other electronic means, and they're coming to faith in Him. Village leaders in one unreached area are begging us to come back and teach them more of the Bible. In one country in Sub-Saharan Africa, we train nearly 200 pastors in the characteristics of a healthy, biblical church. And here's one fuller story. In one Muslim country in Southeast Asia, one of our missionaries was with one of his national partners named Ahmad. It looked like it was about to rain, and Ahmad asked our missionary if he could borrow an old shirt to wear as he rode his motorcycle because he didn't want to get his new jacket wet. Our missionary handed him a big white t-shirt. Looked like it was about to rain as Ahmad got on his motorcycle. He started on his trip, though, and indeed it started raining. As many people do, he pulled his motorcycle over under an awning. As he stood there, the owners of a house nearby came out and, as is their custom, invited him in for tea. He went in, and over tea, Ahmad thought, I might as well share the gospel. And after he did, he asked the couple, do you want to believe and be baptized? And without any hesitation, they said yes. Ahmad was taken back at how quickly they responded. He said, do you understand what you're doing? You will probably be shunned by your family for this, or even worse. The man said, you don't understand. I've had several dreams over the last three nights, and in each dream, a man wearing white has told me he had the way to salvation for my family and me. Last night, the man, that man, appeared to me again and told me a man dressed in white would come to my home the next day and share the way of salvation. When we saw you standing outside, we knew we needed to invite you in and hear whatever you had to say to us. This formerly Muslim couple is now a follower of Isa the Messiah. So, if anyone asks you what's happening at the IMB, you tell them. Disciples are being made, churches are being multiplied, and Jesus Christ is being glorified among people who have never even heard his name. And so I hope those stories encourage you because those stories that David Platt just shared are amazing examples of what Christ does to the hearts of people who don't know him and what Christ does through people taking Jesus to people who don't know him. We have to vocalize the gospel in order for people to come to the gospel, right? And so 
I just hope those stories really encourage you as they do me. All right, now we're going to take a look at the North American Mission Board and their presentation at the Southern Baptist Convention. To realize there's a problem. I submit to you today that it's time for us to stop protecting the numbers by pretending there isn't a problem in our convention. We cannot ignore what I'm about to share with you. While Southern Baptist churches have baptized 7.1 million people over the past 20 years, we have actually lost 20,000 people in that same period in church attendance. Let me say that again. We have baptized 7.1 million people over the past 20 years, and we have lost 20,000 people in church attendance on a weekly basis. Now, some of you may say, well, what about the national mortality rate? If we factor that in at a generous rate, we have still lost seven, almost 7 million people, 6.5 million people. Our convention, I'll show you this short chart, could be twice as large as it is today if we would have simply engaged the people we just baptized. Let me consider three questions. Number one, could it be that we have considered baptism to be the finish line and not the starting line? Number two, could it be we have spent a lot of our time teaching people what they're saved from and we haven't spent time teaching people what they're saved for? And finally, a great question that all of us should ask in our churches is how many baptized believers are now in a group and active in the life of our church? We actually, we actually had the privilege of partnering with LifeWay Research who conducted the largest discipleship study ever done. It's 10 years worth of research. And they came up with a few findings and I wanna share some of those with you. And we knew this, but here's what's interesting. The number one spiritual discipline that any Christian can engage in that is head and shoulders above every other spiritual discipline in the Christian life is guess what? Bible engagement. Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline that any believer could practice and it has exponential growth in the life of a believer. Bible engagement is more than just reading the word. It is allowing the word of God and God himself to lead us and change our direction, our actions, and our thinking. Sadly, only 45% of Christians engage the Bible on a weekly basis. So what that means is 55% of born-again believers are not reading the Bible or engaging the Bible at all. But here's the second thing, and we thought this was interesting. The research proves that when people engage the Bible, obey the Bible, follow the Bible, it leads to people being more generous with their giving. When people engage the Bible, they serve more. When people engage the Bible, they go more. Watch this, when people engage the Bible, they will evangelize more. See, I think the reason we're not seeing evangelism at the level we are expecting evangelism to happen in our convention is because people are drawing from an empty well. See, what goes in the mind comes out the mouth. When Jesus is on the mind, he can't help but come out of the mouth, right? Number three, 
There is a deep connection between discipleship and evangelism. The two are together, two oars in the same boat. And so let me just share with you before I give you our challenge with this present uh, system and our findings, we would have to baptize as a convention 7.1 million people to not lose anyone by the year 2038. And I want to challenge us to begin to think differently. Brothers and sisters, I submit that we continue calling for evangelism, but let's not do it without a plan for biblically discipling believers. Why? Because we'll see the same results and outcomes that we have seen for two decades. Decades at which we have been at these conventions where we have seen people stood on this platform calling for more evangelism. Think of it this way. With this present process, if we continue, it would be like filling up a bucket of water with holes in it. I'm not saying we don't need more evangelism. We definitely need more evangelism. I submit to you we shouldn't stop with evangelism. We need to go beyond making converts. We need to go beyond making Christians. We need to go beyond making decisions. We need to be committed to making disciples who in turn make disciple makers who make disciple makers for the glory of God. So here's our challenge. What can we do that's tangible as a convention to really be a lead measure for results long term? Since engaging the Bible in a discipling relationship produces exponential growth, then we as a convention should engage our people to do the same. The Disciple Making Task Force recommends that all Southern Baptists participate in what we're calling the 80 by 20 challenge. The 80 by 20 challenge. By the end of the year 2020, our prayer is that we would see the number 45%, which is those who regularly engage the Bible, raised to 80%, from 45 to 80% by the end of 2020. And somebody said to me recently, that seems like a big number. And my response to them, if we just raise it to 46%, it's a win. 80 by 20 challenge. We'll have resources. You can go to our website, 80by20.org. We will have resources to help you. Report will be given a full report. You can download this report. I encourage you to do so. We'll show all of the findings and research we have found. Listen, we can't go back and make it up to the 7.1 million we lost over the past 20 years. But we can and should prepare for the next 7.1 million to come. Thank you. And so as the IMB report should have been encouraging, the NAMB report, the North American Mission Board report, should have been convicting. After I heard those statistics, my heart was seriously broken for the work that the Southern Baptists have been doing. In fact, it was almost a little embarrassing because the Southern Baptists are known for their evangelical work. And so... Uh, those numbers convicted my heart, they convicted me, and they uh, are definitely inspiring me to step up my game in the church. And so that's kind of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a lot of reports like that from a lot of different entities. They voted on some things. The awesome thing is, is that the Southern Baptist Convention, each church can send messengers. And so the messengers can then in turn make motions and, you know, suggest things to add or take away 
from the Southern Baptist Convention during the two-day process. I would love to have a podcast here in the future explaining the processes and uh, the, the things that go on during a Southern Baptist Convention. So here in the future, I would love to possibly get a guest on who knows the in and outs of the SBC and would be willing to talk on them, possibly SBC this week or not another Baptist podcast. So guys, I am excited to move forward in this podcast. I'm excited to bring more exciting content your way. I have been blessed by you guys immensely, and I hope that you guys will tune in next week to our podcast. You can get in touch with me. Uh, You can email me, gracenationministries at yahoo.com. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I am on all of them. We hope to, we look forward to hearing from you guys. We really do. I try to reply to all the emails. I try to reply to all the DMs. It's something that I just really love doing, and I love engaging with the community around the podcast. Don't worry. We are back on our normal podcast schedule. We are not skipping another week for the foreseeable future. And so I am excited to bring just amazing content your way. Guys, you are beautiful and you are one of a kind. Until next time, take care and God bless. And that's the show. Thanks for listening. The BGN podcast comes out every week. Questions? Email us at gracenationministries at yahoo.com or tweet us at gracenationmin. Until next time, Take care and God bless.